0: From the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, UFAMet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry.
1: From the hinterlands concealed by fog at the intersection of society and strange. This is an interview series about the unknown and our relationship to it. Produced by the documentary podcast UFAMet, here we commune and wander through the big wonder with guests who are thinkers, explorers, experiencers of the phenomena that is on the edge of it all. This is Night Drift, and I'm Jim Perry. Tonight guest Daniel Duke, the great-great-grandchild of Jesse James. He grew up surrounded by stories of lost outlaw treasures, and for more than two decades, he has been researching the mysteries involving his connection with family, Freemasonry, the Knights Templar, and the secrets of the Wild, Wild West. It's something that we haven't had a chance to talk about on this very program, but something I am fascinated by. And as the son of a ranch or grandson of a rancher, you know, I spent a lot of my time kicking up dirt on old farms and daydreaming about the Wild West. So this is going to be really a fascinating conversation, and we'll jump right into that in just a minute. But I, I did want to let you know to keep those emails coming in. You can join the conversation tonight. Email me jim at euphemet and use hashtag Nightdrift on Twitter. That's that's night with a T. And if you've been listening for for as you know we've been doing this for like two years now, and you don't know that yet, I don't know why I am telling you now, but is how it goes. All right, let's get right into it. Daniel Duke was born in Austin, Texas, and is the author of three published nonfiction books and is the great, great grandson of the Old West outlaw Jesse James. He lives in Texas. Daniel, welcome so much to Night Drift.
2: Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on your show.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I I think today let's take people into a time machine and let's bring them back to the Wild West. Can you explain a little bit about the time that Jesse James lived in and a little bit about Jesse James himself, maybe for those folks that who knows, maybe they're hearing about Jesse James for the first time tonight?
2: Okay. Uh yeah, the times he lived in were it, he was born in in 1847 and uh you know, it was at the time it was in he was born in western Missouri, and that was the edge of the frontier back in in that that at that date. Uh, so it was wild. He had an he had an uncle who they called Wild Bill. It wasn't the same Wild Bill like Wild Bill Hickok. It was a different mm. Wild Bill. But his uncle used to take uh, r- wealthy hunters from the east east coast and you know they'd come out looking for adventure and they would pay him to take them out into the prairie and hunt buffalo and it was said there were eyewitness accounts that his uncle wild bill had uh ridden his horse up next to a buffalo jumped on the buffalo's back and stabbed it to death with his bowie knife i mean they were rough oh people Oh my gosh <laughs> nobody yeah. does that i mean that's that's crazy yeah but uh, it, it was wild and untamed Just, you know, there were there were Native Americans who would attack and different. There was all kinds of dangers, Um, wild animals, people, all kinds of stuff. Um, And then when he was uh, around not not long after he was born, just within a few years, the fighting between the uh, Kansas and Missouri started. It was abolitionists back from the northeast, from the New England states backed up I guess, well, they backed people in Kansas and those people would go and raid into Missouri, which was a slave state. Mm. And it was and then so the people in Missouri would, you know, they and it got to the point where they weren't just raiding slaveholders. They were raiding anybody on that side of the border, you know, on the Mm. Missouri side. So people on the Missouri side would raid and it was just raiding back and forth for about 10 years before the official start of the Civil War. Jeez. So it, it was a ru- on top of all the other dangers, they had, you know, gr- basically guerrilla warfare for almost a decade. And oh, um, gosh. so when Jesse was 13, about 13 or 14, he was on, his, on, on the Civil War had just started. He was on his uh, on his farm plowing and some union backed guerrillas rode onto his farm, strapped him to a plow. They beat him severely and left him tied to the plow, and they rode on to the farmhouse where they beat his, or they, it accounts vary, some say that they uh, tied his mother, who was pregnant at the time, to a tree and horse whipped her, others say they just pushed her around, but they mm-hmm. also hung, they hung his stepfather, who was a real good man, is Dr. Reuben Samuel, and uh, they hung him, they didn't kill him, but he had permanent brain damage, mm-hmm. and that was the mindset that kind of, from that was kind of like the the tipping point for Jesse. He wanted revenge. He lived in a rough area. It was rough rules, rough people. And, um, uh, he, he wanted revenge. He wanted to join the Confederate army just for the purpose of fighting back at the people who had attacked his farm. Yeah. And, uh, he was, they wouldn't allow him. They said he was too young. Uh, he finally found a group of guerrillas who were from Missouri who would let him fight. And that was Quantrell's guerrillas. Um, hmm they they were feared by most people even a lot of the union army our our union forces they they were very good at killing and that's where jesse got his start they were they were great they had a well guerrilla tactics were said to have been perfected by them
0: oh my and gosh. Uh, they,
2: you know small they'd have a group of 180 men fighting 5000 union cavalry and they would lose one man and kill dozens or more of union cavalry it was always <laughs> For some reason, they they were extremely good. And uh, wow. so at the end of the Civil War, uh, most conf- most of the Confederate veterans were allowed to or they were granted amnesty so they could surrender and go back home. Whereas the guerrillas who Jesse had ridden with were denied amnesty and they were to be shot on sight or taken back to a jail and home shortly after. He tried to turn himself in and he he got shot through his right lung. Oh and uh, somehow, somehow he survived. I don't know how people lived back then. Right. I mean, but <laughs> it was, yeah. he made it. And uh, I guess he had it the way there's nothing in writing, but to my best, well, my best theory is that he had a choice. He could either leave the country or live up to the outlaw name and, and start, start robbing. And uh, that's what I thought for years until later, I dug up his connections to Freemasonry and things of that nature. And, And that ties into, as guerrillas, they were almost, they would have been considered special forces in their day. Mm. Uh, And then he wasn't allowed to turn himself in under the threat of death. So, and plus he was a young man, uh, hot-headed, you know, I don't know, he wasn't real hot-headed. They said he had a dry sense of humor, but when he got mad, he was deadly. Uh, Yeah. And that's what started his outlaw career. He started he and the younger brothers who, by the way, uh, Cole Younger and his other brothers, they they came from a union family, but union backed guerrillas robbed and murdered their father. And that's why they rode with Quantrell's guerrillas. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so they were in the same boat. They teamed up Frank and Jesse James, who were brothers, teamed up with the younger brothers and they formed the James Younger gang. Uh, they started robbing trains, banks, stagecoaches, um, and just they they did it for over fifteen years
1: yeah. and
2: got away with it. Most people didn't have a career like that, uh, that would last, you know, an outlaw life, it's not a long you don't have very long lifespans. Right. But they, they were good at what they did and they, they applied their guerrilla tactics to their the robbing. And that's that, that,
1: I mean you you have these you have these kids these children basically with their backs up against the wall right in a world yeah. that's responding to them in one way and that's with violence and you know take or be taken from and that has to have had like completely influenced his life from the end of it i suppose and i I think some of that is where some of the story gets gets really fascinating interesting as well And, and so we'll go into that and and as you said maybe the discovery of being a part of some fraternal orders um but you know when when was it that you first you know learned that you were related to jesse james was that something that you had always known about as a child or when did that occur
2: we we grew up hearing the stories as, as children. My mother, she grew up hearing the same stories. It was passed on every every generation and told the stories that uh, Jesse didn't die, as history stated, and then he moved to Texas, changed his name, and died at an old age in 1943 at the age of 97 years old wow. as a farmer in Blevins, Texas, which is roughly 22 miles southeast of Waco, Texas, Wow, out in farm country
1: yeah and what was your response to that as a kid did you ever have a time where uh you rejected this idea or you thought it was family lore just to give an example for a long time my family thought that we were of irish descent on my father's side recently within the last year we took a uh actually an ancestry test and we <laughs> could have not been more wrong and <laughs> let me tell you this like let me tell you this, Dan, like. It was really hard to approach my brother who had a shamrock tattoo and tell him what the truth of it was.
2: (laughs) That would be hard. Oh, my God. Yeah. But
1: but, but families, you know, they do have these lures. They do have stories. And sometimes, you know, you don't know what's fact from fiction and what's a tall tale. How about you? How did you weigh in on that?
2: Yeah, we you know, as a child, I thought I had no, no reason to disbelieve it. But then when you go to school and you, you know, you read little bits in history about Jesse James and how he was killed by Bob Ford in 1882. Um, I thought, okay, how could he affect his death? Everybody said, you know, there's a picture of the guy dead. And it made me wonder. And, uh, but then the family stories always sounded so convincing. And my mother is my late mother. She passed away in 2015. Name was Betty Dorset Duke. And she wrote three books about it. Um, she decided when my sister and I went to college, she had enough time where she could pursue other interests. And she wanted to find out once and for all who was telling the truth, accepted history or the family story. Yeah. And uh, we got all, she gathered all our family photographs and my sister and I helped her research on, on, on the side. Um, but we had our family photographs that looked like the James family to us, but we, we knew better than to just say, Oh, you know, hello world. Look at this. You know, (laughs) we've, we've verified this. We had to have experts. Uh, So we went to the department of public safety headquarters in Austin. They have a forensics department and they're our version of the state police here in Texas. Um, We went their forensic lab, their, their, their experts, to verified that our photos matched the historically accepted photos and mm-hmm. then we took the photos to the photographic forensic analyst uh, I can't say that right my tongue i'm tongue tied today it's uh, a lot of words let me the tell you analysis lab at the austin Police department and they they verified our photos matched and there was a third group my mom she for some reason she wanted three three opinions so we had two that that were on our side and we went to uh visionics in new jersey who ended up getting purchased by another company but they were world leaders in facial recognition technology and they also verified that our photographs matched the the historically accepted photographs of jesse and some of his family members even um his mother who was wearing a homemade dress She had the exact same dress with the exact same pattern, uh, same missing arm, same face. Everything was the same Uh, down to the eyeglasses. She wore every every detail all matched. So we were excited. And my mom went to she thought, okay, the world's going to love this. So she wanted to call um, she called the James Farman Museum in Missouri thinking they would love to know that Jesse wasn't killed by Bob Ford effect his death. And that was the last thing they wanted to hear, which we were shocked. We were so naive going into this, but, uh, we were shocked. I thought, how could they not like that? I thought they sided with Jesse. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah. um, found out later, I think it boiled down to money. Um, hmm. they wanted to shut her up. They started attacking her shortly after that, uh, online and, um uh, phone calls at night and it escalated over the years to death threats the fbi got involved and finally put a stop to it fortunately um but oh my gosh I, I, the only thing I, we i started looking into how much money they brought in at their museum and this was in the 90s they were bringing in uh, seven million a year in the late 90s on average oh and it was a poor God. yeah so it was a poor county Uh, Right up the road from there is the house in St. Joseph, Missouri, is the house where Jesse was allegedly murdered, and that was bringing in a ton of money. So I think it was hurting pocketbooks, and it made people do irrational things. Uh,
1: It makes sense. I mean, that is a story that is echoed in the paranormal sphere all the time you know uh the 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 new insight or the data that comes about to help reshape a story or have a different interpretation is not Mm -hmm. always welcome because there's those dollars coming through
2: yeah and there's a lot of yeah people people build an industry on something they've got that gravy train and they don't want anything threatening that money flow I, i that's the only the only thing i could come come up with as to why they would do that um of course they never admitted why they did it they just they just quit bothering us so,
1: yeah. oh my gosh so, and
2: well, we were happy with that yeah um,
1: well but, I, I didn't I didn't know that this was a a if an entire family pursuit and that your mom had yeah. published books on this and in that way, listen you've got three books sitting on my desk right here you know not all of them about Jesse James but um I think it's your newest one Wild Wild West The Secret History of the Wild Wild West right? Uh Um, you know, when you look at these works, what do you think your mom would say?
2: I think she would have been happy. Um, she, she had written three books and, um, she still had, there was a lot of, she, she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready to die. I guess most people are, uh, she passed away unexpectedly in the middle of the night. And my sister and I vowed to continue her research, and um, that's what led to over the years. While helping mom with with the book she'd written, you know, just the research side of it, I was also researching the treasure side of it uh, because there was a treasure map and some other items that were passed down through the family. And I wanted, I wanted to to, to basically every question we had, I was researching everything. And the treasure caught my eye. I, I, who wouldn't want to find treasure? But Right, uh, so, right. right. And, and we had the map. The family lore was no one had ever found it. And I thought, God, I got to figure this out. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah. then it led into areas I never dreamed it would have gone, you know, taken me to. But um, I think she would have liked it. much. I, I personally think she would have been real proud that my sister and I both uh, kept it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine so. I can really imagine so. Um, with that, uh, you know, I can't wait to ask you about the treasure map and how that came about and uh, and and talk more about this potential fraternal order. And also, I want to go back and, and uh, suss out how some of these moments really felt to you as well. And so okay. we'll do that with uh, guest Daniel Duke right here on Night Drift after this. I've been drifting on the sea of heartbreak Trying to get myself ashore For so long For so long Listening to
2: the stranger stories Wondering where it all went wrong For so long For
1: so long
0: Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim.
1: This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. You know, we now have an ad-free Euphemet podcast feed for subscribers, and you can use it wherever you listen to podcasts. Just go to euphemet.com and click the top banner to become a patron today. Unlock ad-free shows and access to the occasional hangout when those happen on there. And thank you, of course, to those that have subscribed, and thank you for listening tonight. Um a very interesting program. Our guest tonight, Daniel Duke, has has this book out. It's it's not the newest book, in which I thought for a minute it was, but it's this great book, Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure, Secret Diaries, Coded Maps, and the Knights of the Golden Circle. And it's an investigation into the lost treasures of Jesse James and the Freemasons and their connections to the Templars, Rosicrucians, and the Founding Fathers. Daniel, great to have you on Night Drift tonight, my friend.
2: Thanks. It's great to be here.
1: You know, uh, if someone were to ask me what this book was like, I would say it's like Da Vinci Code set in the Wild West.
2: That's that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> that Yeah, it's and I've often told people um, if, you know, the Da Vinci Code was said to have been based off Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Um, and I I believe that this story is a continuation of the story written about in Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Or the only without the religious aspect to it. Yeah, Um, it's got some religion, but not you know the esoteric traditions. But I, I I didn't touch on you know the whether or not Jesus had a baby. Right. (laughs)
1: Right. Right, right. Well, you know why when you have the treasure map, you don't need to even go into that angle. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> who cares true. when you got a treasure map? So so take me back to that moment when, um, you know, was this treasure map something in your family that you had all, always known about or where there's a was there a moment there when you found it? And we're like, oh, my God, what is this?
2: It, it We had known about it. Um, Well, I found out about it as a teenager. It was I'm, I was a senior in high school and uh, my mom and I went to visit. My great aunt Judy, and uh, Judy's husband, and my, who was my great uncle, um, he had, he he was my mom's uncle by blood. He married Judy anyway. Judy was going through all the stuff, and she had the treasure map with a newspaper clipping in it. When well, I thought the newspaper clipping was odd, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But uh, she she passed it on. She said this was your, you know, was Bud my my mom's uncle. And this belongs to Bud and he would want you to have it because she was interested in the family history and, and everything about Jesse. So uh, we looked at it and for years we couldn't figure out what it was, but she gave it to us in an envelope that had been passed down with this old newspaper clipping. And the clipping was of Bonnie and Clyde, the the, the killing of Bonnie and Clyde. And I thought, this is weird. Oh, I don't know wow. why that would be with that. Yeah. Um, but later on I found out, My mom found out actually. We were going through land records and doing the genealogy of his neighbors just to see if they were related or had, you know, what connections they had. Um his one of his neighbors on the farm in Blevins was a man named Frank Krause. Some people call it Krause, but he was the maternal grandfather of Bonnie Parker. And I thought, this is weird. Oh Jesse gosh. James living next to Bonnie Parker's granddad. It was just odd. What? And I don't know if there was a connection, if there was a continuation of the crime stuff or not. And That's something I'd love to find more answers to, but I've, I haven't have been able to find anything other than that's an odd coincidence.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. He was the first man to sh- teach me how to shoot a gun.
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was. And then, um, oh, God, all the stories that came came about that. But with the, the treasure map, we you know, it it passed on down the family along. We also had um, a diary, one of Jesse's diaries from 1871 to 1876. Mm. And in that, he mentioned a lot of known gang members and other people, uh, cattlemen who were famous cattlemen in Texas. Who uh, nobody I, I never would have dreamed they had a connection to Jesse until we saw their names and addresses in his diary or daybook. Wow. So yeah. it was really cool. It was a big. He had a lot of connections, and every one of those those cattlemen had connections with uh, Quana Parker, who was a Comanche chief. And uh, you know his he was half white, half Comanche. His dad Nakona, I believe, was his name. Had kidnapped uh, Cynthia Ann Parker, and uh, you know they had. Quanah Parker and he was the last great Comanche chief um, they a lot of the a lot of Quantrell's gorillas including Jesse and them were said to have been friends with Quana and I thought it was odd some of the treasures are said to have been buried on Comanche land in Oklahoma so interesting I, and I actually followed one my mom and I went up to Oklahoma and we found Jesse's initials carved in a stone. Where they were said to have camped years ago. And uh the treasure, if that map that was a different map. If the treasure is if the map's correct, it's right on the other side of the road from where we were. So but it's oh my gosh. Uh, the funny thing about that, we got back home and we told no one what we were doing. You don't you don't go out and say, Hey, we're, let's go find this treasure we're looking for. Uh we kept our mouths shut, went I, looking for it. When we you, got home you, you,
1: All movies show you that as the way to do it. You don't tell people about the treasure map.
2: (laughs) So we get back home and as soon as within 30 minutes of walking in the door, the phone rang. My mom picked it up and uh, that kind of dates us. It was, you know, she picked up the phone instead of the cell phone. But anyway, (laughs) uh, there was a man telling us that's not our that that treasure is not meant for us and to keep away from it. And I oh. thought, how do you know who we were, where we were, and what we were doing, and how yeah. do you find our number? I mean, the whole thing was strange because we we had an unlisted number on top of that, especially after the death threats we'd had. So it was, oh it was gosh. a little, little that was odd. So, uh, and then that, uh, just, uh, I, I, I tend to get off, go, there's a million rabbit holes I can go down with. No, that's story. okay.
1: I, I have a feeling that I'm going to uh, tempt you to come back on the show. So go down okay. as many rabbit holes as you want because we got, we got so much time. But, uh, okay, so so to backtrack, first of all, you said that was a different map. So how many, yeah. how many maps <laughs> did you find? <laughs>
2: there's a lot of maps floating around out there that have been altered, uh, treasure. And then there's guys that were just trying to make money. I'll sell you this map, you know, well, why mm. don't you go find it yourself if you've got the map, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's, <laughs> and, and then that's a whole nother thing. A lesson I learned, just because you know where something is, doesn't mean it's accessible. Um, mm. for, like the man who gave us the phone call, um, there's there's a i think a lot of them are watched if they're a large treasure like that one was said to have been two million dollars in gold that was mm. in a uh, placer some say placer gold others say um mexican coins because they'd robbed the train of uh, a gold train and killed the mexican federales and took the gold and uh mm. that that was the, that was one of the stories so we're not sure we just you know, it's supposed to be a lot of gold. I don't know if it was placer or gold or coins or what, but uh, it's when it's large catches. I think I think most of those are still watched.
1: Yeah. So this mysterious figure that you know threatened you on the phone. You know, it, what's interesting? A uh, parallel to some paranormal stories out there is this men in black entity yeah. or being or person, right? That when someone gets a little too close you know, they can expect a visit from a man in black. And what often happens is sometimes it's, you know, once other times it's, it's a string of visits and a pressure and a watching over once you've kind of like crossed that line in the sand. Was that the first of other experiences of those uh, sort of interactions or, or was it just one time?
2: That, that particular, that gentleman has, uh, he's helped us in the past, for for the last 20 plus years uh, he helped he helped my mom he helped my sister and i uh he gives he, it's like he talks in riddles sometimes um and the, the the frustrating part is he knows everything we're talking about he knows what we're looking for but he won't come out and say it you have to find it on your own and that oh, really? to me is so frustrating he yeah it and I didn't write that in a book. I probably I don't know if I should even be mentioning it, but I'm not going to tell his name, but uh or the name he gave us. But um, he he he's he's helped us a lot. He'll he'll mention clues or uh bits of information or he'll mention a name and I we learned over over the years if when he mentions something, write it down and and research it because you're going to find something that ties in with it and it always worked. Uh, I don't know. I i've got theories on that i'm not sure that i've read about the men in black but he never he never really threatened but he would give warnings about certain things like that treasure Um, and i I, uh, so and i heed their warnings after things he's um he's told us things that would happen and three days later you see it on the national news and I'm I, that kind of thing made a believer out of me. <laughs> so, oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. Do you remember one of those instances uh, in particular? What, what, what was he even...
2: Really? Yeah. Like the Ferguson riots, uh, the way they, the way they, uh, uh, the, there was a guy who kept, uh, I guess, stirring things up. And the way mm-hmm. they silenced him, you know, as a home V pulled up and they pulled him into the home V. And that, that that he told us about that three days before it happened exactly how it would happen
1: oh my gosh
2: so i don't know if i should have said that or not that kind of
1: (laughs) okay well you know (laughs) okay so the the thing that is really interesting (laughs) about this is that you are on that epic quest you're on the hero's journey right now right and what is so fascinating about your story and what was i mean this is This is more than what I obviously knew before having you on, but I knew from reading the books and and hearing your other interviews that there were a lot of parallels between you and a paranormal investigator hot on the trail of trying to decode something that seems like there is a system. There's something else in place here, but you just can't put your finger on it quite necessarily. And so as you've gone along, you you now have this map. You now have this like sort of deep throat character, like sort of you know helping you but within riddles and you're also encountering synchronicities uh the bonnie and clyde connection and, and things of this nature um how do you feel right now after completing these three books being where you're at right now and we you know we can fast forward to where we're at now in in a bit but just right now how does this pursuit feel to you and do you could you have ever imagined you would have been in this like sort of ongoing mystery novel
2: i never would have imagined it um it used to sh- my mother my late mother and my sister and i would sit down at night sometimes in the evenings and just talk uh, about how mind-blowing it all was i mean we start out searching an old west outlaw and you know if they're the the treasure map for example i thought at most it might be a saddlebag with some silver maybe a couple of gold coins and i would have been just thrilled yeah but it kept opening doors to things that were, well, like just um, secret societies, uh, researching the treasures led to occult Christian and Jewish Kabbalah, uh, mm. different, eso- and also other Middle Eastern esoteric traditions mm-hmm. that were tied in with, with the treasure template. Uh, we met people like the the former Attorney General of Texas, Wagner Carr, who's now since passed, but he he was he was in, interested in Jesse and the gold. He had his driver show my mother and I, where three large catches were recovered with, with the, oh, well, the, the Texas Rangers oversaw the, the, uh, the recovery of the gold and wow. some of the gold that had, spent uh, were Spanish ingots. So mm. it, it. And he said it was all the same group, but he never would say anything past that. This was Wagner Cart, the attorney general, who by the way, was also on the Warren commission. He was a friend of LBJs and he was on the Warren commission um, that you know investigating the assassination of JFK, which wow. I keep away from. I, I, that's a whole different ball game <laughs> I don't want to get mixed up in. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, and then while we were with him, at the exhumation of a grave of a guy who claimed to be Jesse but wasn't, and he'd been proven to be a hoaxer, uh, this old man—the the man they were looking for was J. Frank Dalton. And while he wasn't Jesse, he did have knowledge of treasures. So we, you know, we it, it involved Jesse and stories of Jesse, so and the treasures. So we went to the exhumation. Wagner Carr was there, and that's where I met a man named Billy Saul Estes, who was said to have been LBJ's. Hitman by some people, um, <laughs> and he was a really nice old man. He killed a lot of people, or was alleged to have killed a lot of people back in the sixties. Uh, but <laughs> you know, it, it was it was interesting. So yeah. it was very odd meeting people you never thought you'd meet, and and touching on on topics and and everything about this has been very very uh, oh god enlightening and mm. also just be it's humbling as well uh, it made me made us all realize how much more there is to the to life in general uh, yeah. than the way most people see it uh, and as to how I feel about this now I would say and I without trying to sound corny it seems sacred to me the whole thing mm-hmm. um, not Jesse but jet what he was involved in mm. uh, that's the best word I can come up with. It's more of a sacred, or at least they believed it was sacred. And that's why they were doing what they did. Uh, so
1: this, yeah. So this treasure having, you know, sort of carrying more weight than gold of, of mm-hmm. some sort of other valued significance. Well, that that's fascinating. Um, listen, I want to talk to you about that. And thank you for sharing your your feelings about it as well. and And, and you know, how you're feeling about all of this it's fascinating um we're going to take a quick break here and then right after this we're going to go uh more i think into the the connection to these esoteric orders and and what this means and what this treasure what this treasure could be i'm so excited to explore that with our guest daniel duke here on night drift i'm jim perry this is night drift
0: on Alternative Talk, eleven fifty AM, KKNW Seattle. Now, here again is Jim.
1: I'm Jim Perry, and this is Night Drift. We are getting lost Well, in the late 1880s here. And we're in the Wild West. And we're here with the great, great grandson of the Outlaw, Jesse James. Now notorious but also very mysterious, and that mystery keeps being Well, really unwound by Daniel and his mother and his sister as a family that is beginning to embrace and realize there's something so much more mysterious here, maybe something almost ancient, as Daniel said, potentially sacred. Now, what could that be? Daniel, you're there with uh, this map and you're starting to make some of these discoveries that are potentially much more esoteric than what you thought could have been. What was the first step when you had that map that connected it and connected this treasure to something like the Knights Templar or one of these esoteric cabals?
2: Yeah, um, I'm trying to retrace that mentally. Uh, I had, you know, we had the map, and then we'd always heard legends that Jesse was part of a secret society called the Knights of the Golden Circle. Who mm. were a pro-Confederate group? Uh, they were kind of like uh, spies and saboteurs for the Confederacy during the Civil War. After the Civil War, they were said to have wanted to gain as much wealth as they could, any way they could, to fund a second Civil War. Which always reminded me of rival football teams. The one, the losing side, always wants another shot. Oh, um, right. And so I had no reason to disbelieve that. But um, after uh, I finally, I there was there was a treasure template called the Knights of the Golden Circle or KGC treasure template, and you can look that up online and find it. It's a rhombus with uh, two circles, two concentric circles, and some some symbols on it. Um, I had, I had, you know, I I found that and I'd heard about it. So, but I, there was no scale. Uh, it, no one ever gave a scale or any you know anything to go by. But after uh, Wagner cars former, you know, Wagner cars driver had showed us these three sites. Plus, a a former World War II vet, George Roming, who was a thirty second degree Freemason, showed us the uh, another site that he had when he was ten to twelve years old. Jesse, he lived near Jesse when Jesse was an old man, and Jesse had hired hired George and sworn to an oath to help him move seven hundred bars of gold, each one each weighing about fifteen pounds. Each. Uh, He had, he he moved them 20 miles from where Jesse lived in Blevins, and they met several, two other old men who had also hired boys around the the age George was. Um, George told us that when it, you know, he, shortly after that, he and the other two boys lied about their age. They joined the war effort, ended up going to to Europe. Um, George was the only one who made it back alive. And when Mm. he got back, all the, all three of those old the elderly men were dead including jesse mm. and he said he was the only one who knew where this treasure was and i'm I'm sorry if i'm going down another rabbit hole oh good um, he had mentioned that the treasure um he, he drew a map for my mom and i we went to look for it and it's on fort hood military reservation we weren't going to touch <laughs> that that's a good way to end up dead or in a prison somewhere right. so we just you know backed off um but but it did give me a fourth reference point to use this template on the kgc treasure template and see how it worked and i got the dimensions from it well after getting figuring that out i wondered if i stacked those you know i made a transparency of it and overlaid it on google earth and it it turned in i did this it took countless hours i covered most of the united states with it turns into a grid it's like a a grid system for a city only, you know, with the only without like a lot of cities have vacant lots in it, and but this has a lot more vacant lots than, you know, there's no treasure on it. Every spot it shows isn't a treasure, but if there's a treasure connected with Freemasonry and their associated groups, it will be on that grid. Um, wow. I didn't know that at first, but as I was building it, I found out it lined up with the Los Lunas Decalogue stone, which has ancient Hebrew writing in New Mexico. Hmm. It lined up with Victoria Peak, where a giant treasure was supposed to said to have been found. And it was even mentioned that treasure was mentioned in the Watergate hearings. Um, hmm. it, li- it lined up with Oak Island. Uh, Scott Walter had written about the Hooked X. It lines up with the the Kensington Runestone that he had written about Mm -hmm. um, Oak Island, the Newport tower, a lot of areas of historic significance or mysterious, you know, historic interest and also other known treasure sites. Um, And it went further. It ends up lining uh, that it was a grid system. I found out it was a large, medium and small template. And I didn't, I couldn't understand why I started, I wanted to know why the certain, Dimensions of these templates, and so I started looking. At, it ended up, to make a long story short, it led me to Kabbalah and gematria, um, and it it started things started clicking and making sense. Uh, it also tied in uh, everything about our story. It seemed like Masons were coming out of the woodwork. Hmm. And we kept, we were meeting more Masons than we than I knew ever existed. Um, and it, uh, tying, I knew Jesse was a Mason under his alias. He had connections with Albert Pike, the famous 33rd degree Mason. Um, I traced that back. And while tracing that back, I came across writings of of Marie Bauer Hall, who was the wife of Manly Palmer Hall, who wrote the secret teachings of all ages. She had written a story about this (laughs) treasure in, in Williamsburg, Virginia, under a church called bruton parish church uh people had mocked her she she found encrypted writings and symbols in the works of shakespeare which led her to williamsburg in the church cemetery there were a, uh, like encryptions and anagrams on uh, on tombstones which led her to the original foundations of the original church that was there and i thought okay <laughs> this, people people mocked her and she proved them wrong and she went further to claim there was a vault beneath that church 20 feet down that uh, contained treasures uh, and manly palmer hall had helped her by this point uh they both claimed this vault contained treasures that were you know traditional gold and silver and jewels but it went further and they they stated that they had uh, it contained information and documents that would shake the foundations of history and also religion so yeah, I, I, the, oh I thought, my God, this is insane. And not only that, that treasure, um, that's when I discovered it was more than just a grid system, the large, medium, and small templates, which make up basically three grids. Uh, it, it also included the big treasure template map that's in the shape of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life.
1: Wow. And,
2: and what I was trying to figure out how would this grid system coincide with that and i i had no clue until i realized it was a symbolic of a veil and with the kabbalistic tree of life they have uh, three three veils of negative existence mm-hmm. and that's where the, it all started clicking it fell in place i, I you know while researching that also was one, i wanted to know who came up with this it, it seemed amazing to me. So, uh, you know, backtracking all the Masons. I know uh, Sir Francis Bacon was said to have been the father of modern day Freemasonry. And I tracked it back to him and I thought, okay, that's, this is the guy who started it all. Everybody else who came after him, you know, just followed along with his uh, plan or him, he and his group, there was a man named Devere and others who were Mm -hmm. involved with him. Um, I thought this is the guy who did it. And that I was satisfied for a couple of days, two or three days. And then that nagging questions kept bugging me. And I I kept digging and found out his mentor was John D. Um, Wow. Said to have been the original 007. Yes. uh, Alchemist, all this a wizard. Um, It went beyond him. I kept just, I ended up tracing it from John D. back through. Well, it was Freemasons, Rosicrucians uh alchemists it went back to jewish rabbis and it was a long line of rabbis abraham zakuto and a lot of others uh, abraham abulafia uh, paolo Riccio, who wrote a book in 1516 which has a, I, I, I had a picture of that in my first book it's got the hooked decks that scott walter had discovered it also it's and it's a map of the new world he's pointing on the floor it's like a hidden map in the tiles of the floor in the illustration but it went past that to A famous rabbi known as Rashi, who was the favored court guest of Hugh, the Count of Champagne, who was one of the founders of the Knights Templar. And I finally found (laughs) my answer with that. I I still feel like I can sigh a big relief. Uh, I found the guys who started it. It ties back to the Templar and the legends of their treasures. I'd read Holy Blood, Holy Grail. It all seemed to fit with that very well. So I decided to write the book. Uh, Mom had died uh, about it about a year and a half earlier, and um, I just you know I I, I kind of didn't care, so I wasn't going to write about the treasures until that had happened, and that was the mm. the impetus that pushed me to go ahead and and publish it. Yeah, um, and so and I thought, okay, people are going to think I'm insane when they read this because it 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 it's almost it, if I could go back. 30 years in the past, I would have thought, okay, this guy's kind of out there, you know, this is some weird stuff. It doesn't make sense. Just keep away from him. But I went (laughs) ahead and wrote the book and the biggest compliment I had, and that made me so happy was when the current grandmaster of the Knights Templar, Timothy Hogan, wrote a glowing endorsement for the book and stated that I had cracked part of the, the code tying back to the Templar treasures in Jerusalem. Oh my so, gosh! How much better can you get? That and he admitted a, that. Yeah, and that was the greatest wow. compliment I could get. Uh, yeah. I called him. He, asked, I, I called him. We had a conversation. He wouldn't tell me much because I'm not a free. I wasn't a Freemason. Since then, I've joined the Freemasonry, and uh, I thought, I thought, okay, I walked into the lodge, and I thought, now everybody's going to know what I'm talking about. They didn't, you know. Yeah. It just, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, we're just talking about charities. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk about this big secret. And they did. Right. They, they Let's go, go find like, treasure, oh. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But over there's a lot I've learned over, over all the years of research. And one of those, and I know this sounds corny. It sounds like a corny movie line. But I do believe the treasure isn't meant for me or any one man. Uh, mm. There's a purpose behind it. I have a feeling the original intent was to create a and help fund a new a new country you know when they found them they knew about the new world um francis sir francis bacon's book the new atlantis seems like a blueprint for the society they meant america to be Mm. and i think i think that's what it was intended for i also believe there are artifacts of historic and religious significance that Probably should be in museums instead of somebody's yeah. private collection.
1: Right. Well, and to tie it back to Jesse James, to your great great grandfather, right? Yeah. You're looking at a kid again with his back up against the wall looking for a better world and not knowing exactly what that is, right? But knowing yeah. that you got to make it happen, you got to take it, and listen, we can all. Uh, you know, argue with the, the you know what the the terrible things that were happening at that time to to to, you know, so many peoples. Right. But yeah. the idea being that, you know, he would be someone that cosigns on this this mission to create this better world to create this. So that that's fascinating. Um, listen, uh, I could talk with you for so long. Daniel, this is amazing. And I mean, you started bringing up John D, and then I started thinking about and magic and how that could factor into this. And here we go. And yeah, uh, yeah now we're talking about Jack Parsons. All right, here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, listen, where can everyone find your work? What's the best place to, to get these books oh. and, and find more about you?
2: Well, there's my publisher, is InnerTraditions.com, it's InnerTraditions Bear and Company, but their website's InnerTraditions.com. Uh, you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold, uh, and just it's they're available in, internationally too uh, if you want it in you know various languages. You can get it. That's um, fantastic. I always always laugh and say they're available everywhere except probably north korea and maybe russia today i don't know they may have thrown them out so, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. so. <laughs>
1: <I don't. laughs> that's possible uh listen this podcast doesn't even reach those places anymore i don't think <laughs> yeah. so that's how it goes all right thank you so much daniel i appreciate it
2: thank you it's been a pleasure
1: I had a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW, 1150 AM Seattle. You can hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to ufamat.com for more and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up.